I'm reading today from Matthew chapter 16. There are 12 verses here for the setting for my message. However, I will only read for the sake of time verse 1 and verse 3. Please note that the entire 12 verses should be read at a later time as you think about the importance of this message entitled, Beware of the Leaven of False Doctrine. And the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now then, verse 3. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. All ye hypocrites. Now then, skip down to verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. I'd like to direct your attention back to verse 1 for a moment. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came. At least something can be said for these hypocrites. They came to Jesus. There are many people in the world who won't do that. If they have an argument, if they have questions, if they have unbelief, if they have disbelief, they will not come to the person who has the right answers. Now, Jesus knew how to deal with hypocrites. He knew how to deal with skeptics and doubters. So I want to put a plus sign in the column of these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians who came to Jesus. They came to the right source not only to be told in no uncertain term where they stood, but to be directed in the right direction of truth. They came to Jesus. But many people, when they come to Christ, come with the wrong motive. These people did. They came to corrupt the church. They did not, they did not want to edify. They did not want to comfort they did not want to strengthen and to build up the church, but to corrupt the church. They had an argument, and they desired to confront Jesus with this argument. One of the trends that you see in our day, and one of the characteristics of false teachers, their message is not helpful. It is not edifying. It is not directing people on the path that will take them to heaven. But it's a corrupt path. It's a detrimental thing that they're setting out to do. And so if you will examine the teaching of people, you will find for the sake of the teaching itself whether or not it be truth. And then you look at the nature of that teaching to see whether or not it is intended to help people or to damn people. Whether or not it is intended to help people or whether it is intended to be a stumbling block or a bondage. And so false teachers try to corrupt the church. They have no desire to win souls to the kingdom of God. Soul winning is the furthest thing from their mind. One of the things about the cults today is they prey on the church. False teachers get in among the flock. 
to scatter the flock. They don't go out to evangelize the dark continent of Africa or to evangelize the areas where no one is preaching the gospel. They get into Christian circles and scatter the flock and they sow the tares where the wheat has been sown. They don't cultivate any ground. They don't clear any new ground and break up ground and, and plant their own fields. But they plant their tares where wheat is growing. I don't expect to find false teachers out there in the bars and in the places of worldly amusement. I expect to find them preying on Christian congregations. True to their nature. They're not making converts to Christianity. They're trying to take Christian converts and confuse them and bring them into bondage and get them out on a limb somewhere and then chop that limb off and let them wallow in all of their confusion. Now these men came to Jesus ignoring all the truth that had already been revealed. And they said to Jesus, Show us a sign. Show us a sign. <laughs> they were stumbling over all the signs that had been predicted, prophesied, and pointed to the man and the time when Jesus would be the Messiah and the person who would be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. These men who wanted a sign would not accept the prophecies of Isaiah. They would not accept the prophecies of, of Micah. They would not accept the prophecies of Jeremiah. They would not accept the law of Moses. They came saying, show us a sign. You claim to be the son of God. Show us a sign. All they needed to do was to read the scriptures. Brother, there are no signs that take precedent over the word of God. There is no phenomena. There is nothing to give a man credentials that would make him stand out that would, would be greater than what this Bible serves as proof of what is truth. Jesus came as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist pointed to him and said, that's him. These men were ignoring the sign that had already been given when the dove of heaven descended and a voice out of the cloud spoke and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. They ignored the greatest of the prophets who stood and said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. They ignored the fact that Jesus said, I am he that has come in my Father's name. They ignored his miracles. They ignored his teaching. They ignored the Sermon on the Mount. They ignored all the fact that he had walked on water. They ignored the fact that he had done outstanding miracles. People, though, when they're bent on believing some kind of deceiving truth, will ignore all kinds of signs that God has given in his word doesn't matter what the Bible says. They've got their head set to believe something false. And so the scribes and the Pharisees did not come to Jesus with an honest heart. They did not come to Jesus in order to edify the people that they came to represent either. What was Jesus' reaction to these false teachers? The same that ours should be. First of all, he denounced their hypocrisy in verse 3. Oh, ye hypocrites! 
I do not feel that it is wrong for myself as a pastor of a flock of people and the responsibility that God has charged me with this morning to denounce false teaching. I do not believe that I am out of place in coming right down the middle of the row and declaring the whole counsel of God without fear and without favor and preach straight from the shoulder and trying to pinpoint some of the teachings that are bringing confusion to the body of Christ today. Jesus denounced their hypocrisy and I feel that we should follow in his footsteps. Oh, ye hypocrites, he said. Number two, in verse four, we find that he refused their request. I don't believe that it's incumbent on me to do what the world tells me to do. When I am challenged to a debate, I don't feel that I have to respond to a debate. The Bible says men of debate not going to heaven. Classism along with murderers and whoremongers and liars and deceivers. So I don't engage in debates with people on the radio or, or some public forum. I'm, I'm not sent to debate. I don't need to defend the gospel. Just preach the gospel. It'll defend itself. He refused their request and he said in verse 4, there shall be no sign given. <laughs> no sign given. But the sign of the prophet Jonas, what was the sign of the prophet Jonas? Three days and three nights in the whale's belly, which pictured, symbolized, represented the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel that if I preach the cross, if I preach the resurrection, I don't need to debate with anybody. I don't need to defend the gospel, just preach the gospel. And if I get off on a tangent and neglect to preach the cross and neglect to preach the resurrection, then God will hold me accountable for that. Jesus said there will be no sign given. There are a lot of new winds of doctrines today that ignore the cross. A lot of new winds of doctrine today who do not preach the resurrection, who do not preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the old rugged cross is still the center of our message today. And I believe we need the preaching of the cross. Then thirdly, Jesus abandoned their company. Verse 4 says, he left them and departed. Sometimes you have to walk away. Not be pulled into this circle of people who want to debate and who want to argue and who, who have gotten a new twist, some cultish idea, and they'll warp and twist your brain and mind out of place where, where you don't know what to believe. You're so confused, you really don't understand what truth is anymore because you have stayed too long in the company of those who want to debate spiritual things. What we need to do is practice spiritual things. Engage in the life that Jesus taught us to engage in. He left them and departed. I believe that we ought to come out from any kind of, uh, of circle of friends and uh, Bible study groups where cults are being advocated and where tapes and books and articles and lectures are forthcoming that are not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe we need to disassociate ourselves 
from those who do not preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. He departed from them. He left them and departed. Now these men who had been at odds with each other, they practiced enmity and hatred and, and they really didn't like each other. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had very little in common except their hatred of Jesus. They got together and put their heads together and pooled their resources to oppose Jesus. The Sadducees and Pharisees who had nothing else in common except their hatred of Christ came together to oppose Christ and his message. You will find the elements of the world today will team up against the Christian church. You will find that there are people in the world who will come together and, and march under the same banner just to oppose what the fundamental Bible-believing church is advocating. We need to disassociate ourselves from that crowd altogether. No doubt the sign that they were asking for was more bread from heaven, like Moses. And Moses gave us bread from heaven. What are you going to give us? Because in Mark, the eighth chapter, when the same uh, command, beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees, Mark chapter 8, verse uh, 10 or 11 it is, in the prior verses to that, he had fed the 4,000. And now then he says, beware of the leaven. They have come to him and say, show us a sign. If you can feed 4,000 people, that's pretty interesting. Give us bread like Moses gave the children of Israel bread for 40 years. Manna from heaven. We'd like to uh, get on the unemployment rolls here and, and uh, forsake our jobs and have bread on the table every day and the quail flying in and providing the meat and we'd like to have the water running out of the rock. Show us a sign. And Jesus said there'll be no sign. I will not honor your request. He could. Brother, he could do it. Never doubted. He could do it. But he said, I won't do it. I don't believe that we should ever be a party to taking the things of God and casting pearls at, at swine's feet. I don't believe that we should take the holy things of God and desecrate them. If people say, Oh, you believe in speaking in tongues. Show me how you speak in tongues. I do not believe that you should attempt to satisfy their curiosity or their sarcasm. I believe you should walk away as Jesus did. He left them and he departed. He got out of their presence. These men were not pleasing to God, so why should Jesus satisfy their curiosity? No sign shall be given. Now the disciples thought that all of this when Jesus said to them, beware of the leaven of these scribes and Pharisees, these Sadducees, beware of that leaven. They thought he meant bread. <laughs> leaven was a penetrating, subtle type of force that silently but quickly would be disseminated into all of the lump of dough and it would make its presence known. It had hidden power, if you please. And we're told in the scripture that a little, a little bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Your reason, your intellect, your will, your affection will be affected by the leaven of false teaching. 
Jesus says you can't get this false teaching without it hurting you. It leavens the whole lump. Some people are going to allow a little pet teaching because it satisfies their ego or it satisfies their carnal nature and they're going to permit a little false belief rather than adhering to the truth. And Jesus says a little bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's why I don't believe that I should ever as a pastor sit back and know that false teaching would ever attempt to be circulated through our church without speaking out against it. I feel like that it can destroy too much people's reason, their willpower, their affection, their, in, their intellect is affected by false teaching. There are many doctrinal errors today that are gross. I'm going to talk about some specifically that affect Pentecostal people, but in the broad spectrum of Christianity and all the fundamental Christian circles, there, there are some who deny the deity of Christ that do not believe Jesus is the divine Son of God. There are many who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I read a, an account just this past week of a man who was pastoring a great church in a great city in the north who was asked why he continued to pastor a church when he was lecturing a, a group of liberals one day and he was telling them that he believed God was dead. And they said, why do you pastor a church if you believe God is dead? He said, because many of my members still believe the God theory. And you say, well, how could people claim to be Christians and, and believe that Jesus is not the Son of God? Because the devil puts it in their heart to stay in the Christian church even though they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. He's planted them there. Well, brother, I want you to know that this church, this denomination, the Assemblies of God, and Evangel Temple Assembly of God believes that Jesus is Lord, that he is the virgin-born Son of God. And then there are some who attack the authority of the Word of God and do not believe that the Scriptures are divinely inspired and that it's a source of inspiration and guidance for our lives today rele relevant for us in 1983. But we stand without any apology on this. This Bible is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. There are some who are teaching and advocating that good works will save you that you can join a club or fraternity and be just as well off as being a part of a church. Well, joining a church won't save you, and certainly joining any club or fraternity won't save you. Memorizing a catechism, being dunked in a tank of water, none of those things will save you. Good works will not save you. You must be born again. Fourthly, there are those who deny the power of God that believe that Christianity is no more than an organization today, but we believe it's an organism. It's a living body. It is the body of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is alive today, and it is the Lord's body. Now, the Sadducees believed in a form of rationalism. They were skeptics and agnostics. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in the resurrection. They really were sad, you see, because they had very little to believe in. The Herodians were a group of people who believed in secularism. They believed in worldly power and, and getting advantage and position, jockeying for position in the world, more politics than religion. They brought politics into the church. I'm constantly having people wanting to pull me into the political arena or into some kind of uh, cultural, social environment uh, issue and... and Keep me from preaching the gospel. I'm here to preach Christ and him crucified. Amen. 
The Pharisees had several different problems. One of them was negative virtues. You young ladies, please do not walk out while I'm preaching. Now, when you get downstairs, come in the Lord, Brother Kale, usher me in down here. There were two young men that I'm going to talk to after church who walked out earlier. I was sitting over there. I wasn't at the microphone when they walked out. You believe people ought to be able to sit through a sermon? Yeah. Oh, I do too. Unless they really have a problem and they ought to sit real close to the restroom if they, and, and not have to walk in front of everybody. Yeah. That's good for you adults too. <laughs> Praise God. The Pharisees had negative virtue. This man prayed. He said, I thank God that I'm not an extortioner. Well, bless his little pointed head. <laughs> I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. Well, a lot of people got good sense besides him. Man with good sense won't be an extortioner or an unjust or an adulterer. Foolish to do those things. So he had negative virtue. Never did anything that he could really say was righteous, but the fact that he didn't do certain things, he thought that earned him some brownie points. And secondly, the Pharisees were religious observers. They didn't have righteousness, but they observed religious practices. They fasted twice every week. They paid tithes, and they prayed. Now that the Pharisees claimed to be better than other people, this one prayed, I thank thee, God. Isn't it wonderful how people have just talked to God this way? I thank thee, God, that I'm not as other men are. And thank God other men is not as he is. Self-righteous, filthy rags in God's sight. They had many other problems. But there's leaven today that Jesus says, beware the leaven of the scribes, of the Herodians, of the Sadducees, of the Pharisees. A little bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lot. What kind of leaven creeps in among Pentecostals today? Hold on to the pew. A lot of this teaching about the faith walk, the faith ministry, word of faith, Revelation knowledge, strong faith, positive confession, hyper faith, prosperity gospel. Hello. I have an advertisement in a brand new magazine, first issue. One of our Assembly of God ministers publishes this magazine. Two-page advertisement here. You need to get this right in for this. An exciting message on God's guarantee to your success in life. Prosperity in every part of your physical and spiritual life is a gift from God. Mr. So-and-so tells you how to receive. It's all yours free for a price. <laughs> all of this, while billions of people are on their way to a devil's hell. And the fire is burning. And people are going into torment screaming. And a man telling you how to be wealthy and how to have prosperity. Can you imagine Noah as he was building the ark and finally that last day arrives and 
The fountains of the deep are about to break open. A deluge from above is going to drown every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth except eight people. And he says, now folks, could I have your attention? I'm going to tell you how to become a millionaire. I'm going to tell you how to be successful, how to be prosperous in every realm of life. Brother, what people need to hear today is how to get in the ark of safety, how to be saved, how to be sanctified, how to live holy, how to overcome the devil, how to be honest, how to be discreet, how to live at peace among themselves. You can have dollars to burn and go to hell. People are so mercenary. We're so materialistic that we crave. People have itching ears, and so they heap to themselves teachers that will accommodate and scratch their itching ears. That's exactly what that verse in Timothy means. And they want a message that pacifies them and, and that satisfies their lust. And they're not interested in advancing the kingdom of God and sending missionaries to Africa. They're not interested in getting people saved in the community, but making converts of Christians to their particular strong faith teaching. I've been listening to these strong faith preachers. And it upsets me a little bit. Prosperity in every part of your life. Jesus is pictured like a Santa Claus. He's got a bag thrown over his shoulder. All you got to do is name it and claim it. Gab it and grab it. The church is urged to confess its rights. There was a day when the church confessed its sins. And now then we're being taught to confess our rights and our inheritance. I believe we need some teaching, but we don't need to be brainwashed. Jesus addressing the seven churches of Asia he didn't tell them to claim your rights. He said, repent or I'm going to move your candlestick out of its place. Repent. Church doesn't want to hear. Repent. No wonder. There, there are no requests for sermon titles in the bookstore at the tape counter on repent. The tapes that we get the request for are those who tell you how to get more and be greater and be more successful. You know, part of this teaching today is that if you even give prayer requests, that's a negative confession. They teach that sickness is a sign of sin in your life. One of our own Assembly of God preachers right here in the state of Florida was heard on the radio to preach this. If a Christian has to have surgery, it's because he's committed fornication. A nationally known television preacher who preaches over his television program that if you have surgery, it's because of sin in your life. Last summer, his wife did his broadcast and television programs while he was recuperating from surgery. You never heard about it. She did a pretty fair job. I always wondered how 
she could do it without wondering what the sin was in his life, what he'd been up to. It has gone so far to even make statements like this, that Stephen was not stoned to death. You know, they say, well, Stephen, when we retaliate and say, well, you know, Stephen got stoned to death. Oh, no, a stone never touched him. He gave up the ghost and died, and a stone never touched him. And, and they even stretch that and start preaching and teaching that you can choose your time and place to die. Just lay down, turn up your toes, and, and give up the ghost. Choose your own time and place to die. There's a lot of wrong emphasis on angels that everybody's got one assigned to them and it's incumbent on us to find out what his name is. Here's, it's two minutes after 12 and I'm not through, but I'm not gonna preach this tonight, so please don't leave me, I'll, I'll rush. Exalting the Holy Ghost over Jesus Christ. Exalting the Holy Ghost over Jesus Christ. When Jesus himself said when he has come, he will not speak of himself, but he will take what things that he's heard of me and show them to you and guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but he will speak of Christ. Here's some fads that have come over recent years. The shepherding movement, the authority emphasis, body ministry, coverings, submission, demon mania, personal prophecies, being zapped, confession, and prosperity. In Hebrews chapter 12, the apostle said, we are encompassed about by a great cloud of witnesses. He was talking about those in Hebrews chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 4, Abel worshiped God by faith and then died for his faith. His brother killed him. In verse 9, Abraham sojourned in a land as a stranger by faith. In verse 17, Abraham offered up Isaac by faith. In verse 23, Moses was hid for three months by faith. That wasn't positive confession. Hid for three months. Verse 24, Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Suffering affliction, that's not God's people today. You know, that's all people even ask it when you tell them, well, Jesus suffered and Jesus had a cross and, and Jesus uh, yielded. He, he was a servant. They, and people have said this to me. Well, is Jesus your substitute or your example? I look them right in the eyes and I say, both, both. He was my substitute and he is my example. In Hebrews 11, verse 36 through 38, others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, bonds, imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. Don't anybody leave. You know, God's not signing up people to be sawn apart. They were slain with a sword. They wandered in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves. 
The faith that is pure is not concerned only with material and physical things, but it is a faith for sanctification, for Christian service, for winning the lost, and for revival in the church today. You know, I, I often pray to God, Lord, confirm your word with signs and wonders following. And, and I want miracles, and I want signs and wonders. But brother, I'm more concerned with seeing people saved. We've got to have the supernatural power. That's part of the gospel. But friends, Christ came not to produce miracles. He came to produce salvation. Jesus died on that cross not just so he could walk on water, not just so he could call fire out of the heavens, not so he could turn stones into bread, but so he could save our lost souls, so he could get us ready for heaven. And the cross today has nothing to do with some of the confession that's going on. The cross has to do with your eternal soul and its eternal destiny. Jesus bled and the drops of blood that spattered on that bald hill of Calvary did not drop there and spatter at the foot of the cross for some of the emphasis that we hear today. God, forgive us. God, have mercy on us for our selfishness. God, forgive us for our unspirituality. God, forgive us for our false teaching and our unbelief that has neglected the righteousness of God. Let us stand and raise our hands in prayer and worship to God today.